Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. Churches are supposed to be safe havens, and so many of us turn to our faith to try and make sense of tragedy. The Covenant School shooting has put that to the test for Nashville's Christian congregations. It happened on a church campus, and all too many churches quickly realized that their own members were only a degree or two removed from the horror of that day. Later this hour, we'll talk with local pastors about how their churches have reacted. How are they coming together to heal? How has their faith guided them? And how does that play out in other areas like politics? But first, it's looking more likely that Republicans will try to end the Tennessee legislative session early, potentially as soon as this week. This comes after weeks of protests and mounting tensions within the Republican caucus following the expulsions and reinstatements of two black Democratic lawmakers. Here to tell us what to expect out of this week is WPLN's political reporter, Blaze Ganey. Hey, Blaze. Thanks. Welcome back to This is Nashville. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so why are the Republican leaders so eager to wrap things up? Well, it's been several weeks of protest, like you said, and these lawmakers aren't used to that. It's usually pretty quiet and orderly around the state house. So I think just with the pressure on them from the gun control protest, they're ready to go back home to their districts where that's they're not likely to see that. So how are they going to get everything they need to get done in this pretty short period of time? Yeah, so last week they activated what's called flow motion. It's a sign that session is coming to an end, and it's used to advance legislation at a faster pace. So a bill that would take a week or two weeks to get passed now can be passed in a day. They can go through several committees in one day, be heard on the House floor that same night, and pass. Some lawmakers don't like that because most big decisions in your life, you are told to sleep on it. They're not given time to sleep on it and can sometimes make some mistakes. The protesters will be back at the Capitol again today to demand stricter gun laws. Now, this is the third week since the Covenant School shooting that lawmakers have heard from parents and children and gun control activists. Is there any chance we'll see any gun legislation? We will see gun legislation, but it won't actually make any changes to the state law because the Senate Judiciary Chair has already come out and said he doesn't want to hear any gun legislation this year. He sent a bill that would arm teachers to 2024. However, the House today that on the House floor, they're going to likely to pass that bill. Um, So, you know, no gun legislation may make law, but there's still going to be some action on gun laws. What about Governor Bill Lee's call for something akin to an extreme risk protection order or red flag law, as you may have heard it known? Uh, What have Republican legislators said? I mean, have any of them signed on to something like this? Well, they haven't necessarily backed the proposal. House Speaker Cameron Sexton is on record a few weeks ago calling it uh, comparing red flag laws to gun confiscation laws. Um, And you can see some Republicans trying to find a way to sort of not use the term red flag law because it's not really popular amongst their base. But what they're really focused on more so is school safety laws. So the governor came out after the Covenant School shooting and enhanced his school safety um, proposal, and it was already passed. It allows uh, for the funding of a school resource officer at every school, uh, mandates active shooter drills. Um, So as far on actual gun legislation, 
they don't seem to be making too many moves, but school safety is sort of where they're focused at. What else can we expect from the rest of the session? Well, they have to pass a bill. That's the one thing that they are actually elected to do is, is pass, uh, sorry, not a bill, but a budget for the state. Um, this year, it's expected to be over $55 billion, and that includes a $3 billion plant transportation bill that allows for toll lanes in the state, which some people feel funny about, but it allows private companies to come into the state, contract contract with the state, and build toll lanes. What about the Tennessee Three? Representatives Justin Jones of Nashville, Justin J. Pearson of Memphis, and Glory Johnson of Knoxville, they're all back at their desks in the chamber. Have they been able to continue speaking up in support of things that their constituents want? Yeah, I mean, they've actually spoke up several times. Representative Jones last Thursday was on the House floor. Uh, He was right back at it, possibly more emboldened now that he's been reinstated and backed up essentially by national, uh, you know, Democrats also. Uh, Last week, he called one representative a bigot um, because he was trying to—well, he did pass a bill that would— limit colleges from speaking about uh, slavery and other racial uh, tensions that happened in American history. And as a new legislator, technically, Justin Jones is allowed a chance to file 15 new bills. He filed one last week that is called the Protect Kids, Not Guns Act. It does several things like has red flag laws in it. It has Uh, bans on certain weapons, mostly assault weapons, and also uh, requires universal background checks. Well, that was WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey. Thanks for your reporting, Blaze. Thank you. And good luck this week. Sounds like it's going to be a marathon. (laughs) Yes, I'll need a lot of rest. (laughs) We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're talking about how Nashville's Christian community has felt the effects of the Covenant school shooting. Has the tragedy tested your faith? Have you found comfort in the church? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. When a mass shooting happens in your own city, it hits you differently than hearing about a tragedy on the other side of the country. There are so many more layers to your reaction. I think a lot of us in Nashville, excuse me, learned the hard way last month when six people, three of them children, were killed at the Covenant School in Green Hills. You can hear it right now. I'm still feeling it very deeply and I know that you are as well. Because even if you've never stepped inside the Covenant School, many Nashvillians could instantly picture the building, the street, and it all became painfully vivid. And for many, uh, the pain did not end there. It's a school that children you know attended, or the names of the dead were names you recognized. It's a lot to grapple with, and today's guests have been helping the people in their congregation sort through this complicated grief. Josh Graves is the pastor of Otter Creek Church of Christ. The Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson leaves Koinonia Church, and Randy Lovelace is the pastor of Christ Community. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Nina. Pastor Randy, you and your congregation have particularly close ties to the Covenant School. How is Christ Community connected to Covenant? Historically, um, the Covenant School has been a place where Christ Community parents have sent their children. Um, Many of them have friends who serve on staff there, and their children have played with 
their children. And it is, uh, was a place that I was, had just been in the week prior. And I had just met Catherine Kuntz. I'm new to town. And I uh, was there for a pastor uh, kid's morning. And uh, so there is multiple layers of decades-long friendships as well as fellow students. What was your first response when you heard the word of the shooting? I was immediately thinking of my colleagues who are pastoral staff there. And I just remember freezing and we, our whole staff rushed down to my office. We had the TV on and it was just that stunning stillness where you both want to know what's happening, but you're also fearful of the worst and you feel there's something you want to do, but you know, there's nothing you can do except wait and, and to pray. And so it's powerless. And that feeling is overwhelming. Micah, you lost a member of your congregation in the shooting. Can you tell me about that? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, Dr. Catherine Kuntz, um, <clears throat> she, had, she and her husband, Richard, had been attending our church, Koinonia, uh, for a couple of months. Um, and I had actually, uh, I had, the shooting happened on a Monday, and, and she had been in worship at Koinonia just that the day before. We sat outside uh, after service and we kind of, we talked together and we exchanged information. We were actually planning to get lunch that week and um, and less than 24 hours later, she was gone. What can you tell um, me about how Richard is doing? You know, uh, I, it's day by day for him. Um, he is, um, he's a man of deep faith and um and he's been very generous with his with his time, and uh, we have we've sought to walk with him. And he's, you know, he's been inundated with family and and friends and so, and folks just trying to support him. But he's he's definitely made time for us to come and and weep together and talk together. Um, I, I think he's doing as as well as can be expected. Um, uh, but yeah, he he's uh, I think I think he's doing okay. He spoke powerfully at her funeral. I, I don't know how he had the strength to stand before a congregation of people and speak at the, at the funeral of his own wife. Uh, but he did, and he, he had some beautiful things to say about Catherine, uh, about her, her legacy and about her example. For both of you, with this tragedy striking so close to home for your church families, how did it feel to approach the pulpit that first Sunday? Uh, Micah? Um, it was really, really hard. Uh, it was uh, it was a really really difficult time, um, and you know as as a as as a pastor, I'm oftentimes um, you feel the pressure of having to of sort of knowing the right thing to say. You know, I'm supposed to kind of know the right thing to say, and uh, there's some tragedies that are so immense that you you know it sort of goes beyond words, and um, so. I just kind of, I, I was just very honest with the congregation about uh, my own sense of uh, helplessness, uh, my own sense of deep sorrow and shock and horror. Um, as you said before, you know, it's one thing to hear about these things on the news or read about them on the news. It's another thing when you were, when you were just talking with someone less than 24 hours before it happened, you know, and, uh, and it hit so close to home. So, I uh, yeah, so I think I think just being honest with the congregation about our own grief and shock allowed them 
the space to know that it, it's okay to um, to be disoriented. It's okay to be uh, to be shocked. It's okay to not have all the words. Um, I was com- I am comforted in the fact that um, you know we our our faith teaches us that we serve a a God who um, does not sit. Uh, at a distance from these things, but actually became one of us and took our afflictions on himself. So he knows what it's like to lose someone, uh, to cry tears. He knows what it's like um, to to um, to experience, um, you know, the the horror of intense violence and and the destruction that that leaves. So so we we are we come to worship a God that knows from experience what we're going through. And um, and so we know that we can have help in the time of need. So that's that's kind of the way I approached it. Pastor Randy, how did you approach that first, that first sermon? Well, I knew within 24 hours that whatever I was planning to say prior to that Monday, it would have to change. Um, wrestling with the, the twin reality that I have a place to lead into shepherd, but also feeling an intense sense of what in the world can I say? So that put me in a place of dependence on uh, my Lord and my faith. Um, and so I just felt a, a tremendous sense of humility, not pressure, but humility of, of just saying, Lord, help me. And so I, I changed the text Um, We changed the service around. We made space for extended prayer. And as Micah said, and I just want to say hello to Micah, who's also a colleague of mine, that we just needed to be honest with how we're doing and to to acknowledge the emotion in the room. Josh, what has it been like for you these past few weeks? We decided a few days after the shooting to bring the church together. Um, We're not as connected as as Randy and, and Micah are, but... We brought the church together on that Wednesday night for a lament service, kind of from the Psalms, which I see you have your Bible open to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we uh, invited people into this idea, and I appreciate the space to talk about theology on on this show, but this idea in the book of Romans where Paul says that the whole of creation is groaning, it's a specific Greek word that only appears a a few times in the entire New Testament. And the idea is... Sometimes you encounter so much suffering and violence in the world that the English language is incapable of describing the horror and the tragedy. And so the word is actually a word that gets to this kind of deep, guttural, human expression of pain because you recognize for Christians who believe in kind of this new heavens and new earth and Jews um, that there is this immense gap. So we invited people into that Wednesday night time of prayer and just essentially broke up into prayer circles to pray, to cry out loud. There were some prayers that were really uncomfortable for me. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot for a pastor to be uncomfortable because we hear a lot of different stuff. But people prayed from their hearts and they prayed stuff that probably wouldn't have passed the the PR check um, on all sides of it. Um, But we just tried to create space for people to actually respond, not just to listen to what we had to say. Well, talk a little bit about that, those uncomfortable things. I mean, what are... I mean, obviously, no one needs to know who's saying what. <laughs> but what what are some of these things that you're seeing really bubble up in your congregation? 
Well, we have uh, families connected uh, to the LGBTQ community, and so that that raised all kinds of sensitive, tender issues about how uh, trans persons might be treated in light of this mm -hmm. this horrific tragedy. We have uh, families who have been touched by violence in other contexts, abuse in other contexts. So people bring all of their brokenness and pain into tragedy, and it's going to affect them in a lot of different ways. And so when you invite space publicly for people to pray out loud what's in their hearts, all of that's going to come out in these kind of intense human emotions. I'm sure that all of you have shepherded your churches through tragedies in the news before. Josh, how does this compare? It's it's close to home. You're not as connected as as these other pastors are, but it's still very, very close to home. How has that changed uh, the reaction that you're seeing in your congregation to, say, things that have been in the national news? Well, I think one of the things I love about this city um, is I think Jews and Christians and our Muslim brothers and sisters too, there in Nashville, there's this intense love of children. Like that's one of the threads through this city. When you look at all the schools, public and private, all the different opportunities for nonprofits, the common thread is reverence for children and how, how special and unique a season of life that they're in. So I think for our church, uh, which we have a lot of political diversity in our church. So I think it touched this sense of, Man, get out of your partisan box and recognize that we have a Christian responsibility to advocate, to love, and to protect our children. So I think that's how it touched our church uniquely. Yeah, Micah, what kinds of questions have you been hearing from your congregation? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the questions of, of um, you know, how could this happen? Why did this happen? Um you know, sort of the again the kind of the kind of sort of what we might call the classic questions of theodicy. Uh, you know, um, why why Lord uh, could could such a thing happen? You know, um, and uh, there are no easy answers to that. Um, uh, as I said, I think uh, you know our our comfort comes in the fact that uh, you know God understands from experience what we're going through. Also, that um, you know beyond the cross, there's a resurrection which uh, gives us hope that there is um, that there, that, that violence and death will not have the final say um, that actually uh, justice and peace and life will have the final say. And so, um, so that, that, you know, it, it, that doesn't cause us to be passive. That actually causes us to be active, to work toward a day in which we can see that justice um, realized. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how we've approached it. Pastor Randy, I'm sure that this week, Covenant going back to school has added a whole other layer to the complexity for your congregation. How are you supporting them through that right now? I think the biggest balance uh, I've found uh, when our congregation and this congregation is going through this moment, but also the other congregations that I've served, is the propensity to want to do something. And what I've tried to do uh, along with these pastors, is to walk our people first through uh, sitting and lamenting in sorrow and crying out to God before we move into action, because moving into action too quickly robs us of the opportunity to recognize our humanity, to walk with others who are walking and suffering. Uh, the day before uh, the shooting, I was talking about Jesus at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. And he wept, which is laughingly the shortest verse of the Bible. 
But again, the English doesn't do it justice. He was angry at death, yet he walked towards it and he wept. And that gives dignity to our tears. And so in walking our congregation through this, even this week as the school and parents and family gather back together, it's to remember that he is with the brokenhearted. He is with us in our tears. And we can also look to the hope that the final end of the story is, is not death and violence, but new life. And I think that hope is what's given animation to people and a desire for their actions. And Josh, I understand you have a school on your campus. Has this affected your thinking at all? Yeah, we have two campuses, one near Vanderbilt and one in Brentwood. So we've got Davidson County and Williamson County covered, and both campuses have uh, schools. One has a preschool and a kindergarten. The other has just a preschool. And this is where the head and heart comes in conflict because part of me is red letter of Jesus, commitment to nonviolence, Dr. King, why would we invite weapons to protect people from weapons, all that but then when you have the responsibility of children, this has caused us to look much more closely at security on both of our campuses. And I think you're going to see that consistently around churches across the country. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm Nina Cardona sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. We're talking with pastors Micah Edmondson, Josh Graves and Randy Lovelace about how Christian communities in Nashville are responding to the Covenant School shooting. Now, the day after that event, Governor Bill Lee posted a video on his social media saying it was a tragedy beyond comprehension. He said there would be a time to talk about legislation, but that this was a time to pray. I want to speak to that which rises above all else. The battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. The struggle is against evil itself. We can't forget this, and it's very difficult. But we're called to not only love our neighbor, but to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who intend harm. There is hope in the midst of great tragedy because God is a redeemer. Now, the governor is making reference to Ephesians six twelve there. And Josh, I wonder what your response was as you heard it invoked in this context. Well, on the one hand, I appreciated it because I grew up in Michigan and I'm not used to governors quoting the Bible. So that was <laughs> that was a little surprising to me. Um, I, You know, I, I got a little nervous because the implications of Ephesians 6, as I understand them theologically, is not that there is this spiritual dimension that's disconnected from the physical world. But in fact, evil is connected in the physical and the spiritual, in the individual and in the institutions. And sometimes people who kind of lean conservative sometimes will distance themselves from the theological implications of how policies might need to change and claim kind of the spiritual card. And so I got a little nervous because I thought, is he going to use Ephesians 6 to say there's nothing we can do? And in fact, that would be ignoring everything that Jesus talks about in his neighbor ethic. Um, I've been encouraged by what he has said since then about different policy changes that could come into place. Um, so it, it was mixed for me, for sure. Well, for those who don't know their Bible right off the top of their head, Ephesians 6 is the passage about putting on the armor of God. And mm -hmm. it's all about a spiritual fight against evil and sin. And, you know, Micah, you touched on it a little earlier that one of the great questions of faith is that, you know, how can horrible things be allowed by an all good and all powerful God? So where do you start when somebody comes to you grappling with that question, Micah? Yeah, um, I start uh, 
Uh, I start I start with acknowledging the legitimacy of the question and to say to them, um, this is a question that um, people of faith have have grappled with for uh, forever. You know, uh, I, this is a question that Job grappled. You know, Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible, and it is uh, a question that is at the heart of that. And I would say, in in real way, uh, this is a question that's at the heart of our faith. Um, as I said, there, there are no there are no easy answers. What we can say is that God does not smile on our pain, that God, being a good God, um, does not want us to suffer, does not want us to be in pain. Um, we, we, uh, we, we know that God has power and is able to to uh, to deliver. Um, and so that but that definitely leaves this tension. Well, if God does not want us to suffer and God is able to do something about it, why are we? in this situation. Uh, what we can do is we can point to the example again of the cross and we can say that um, that God himself has placed himself uh, in our shoes. And, um, and it's interesting that God um, could have um, perhaps, uh, perhaps delivered from afar, perhaps delivered at a distance, but decided to become one of us and to experience the very worst of what we experience. Um, to stand with us rather than over us um, in, in that way, and to stand in solidarity with us. Um, and uh, and I think that's a powerful thing to know that we are not alone in our suffering and um, and that God, in, as I said, in the resurrection has done something about it, has, has actually um, wrought the, the definitive victory over these things, um, which causes us to to, to be active um, in, in some real practical ways. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate the words earlier about, um, you know, Ephesians is not just about pie in the sky and the by and by, you know, um, I'd say to my congregation, you know, our faith is not just pie in the sky. It's also steak on the plate while we wait, you know, uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, God it means for us to, um, you know, our prayer that uh, the Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is really a, 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 a prayer, an ask for the Lord, but also a summons to action. So our faith is one that calls us to, um, to, to talk about the real ways in which um, these principalities that the governor referred to work themselves out in unjust systems and laws and uh, inequitable distribution of wealth and, um, and, and unsafe conditions for people. Um, and and perhaps even the the most helpless of us, our children. So uh, so there's real as a real. Um, I, I would say that our gospel and uh, our faith calls us to have something clear to say about those things as well. Pastor Andy, you came with the Bible ready. <laughs> Are there any scriptures that come to mind that you're grappling with? Are helping people grapple with these questions? Well, like was said earlier, I'm I'm not accustomed accustomed to a governor quoting scripture. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't see it at the time that he released it, but I did get to see it later. Um, and I think as I was listening to it uh, for the first time, I thought to myself, mm, I'm glad I'm not in his shoes because the problem is once you say something, you can't say everything. And so I didn't necessarily receive it as everything he was going to say. Um, I do know that the Lee family was very, very impacted by this shooting. And not only the Lee family. And so I, I recognize that he was at the same time serving as governor, but also someone who is grieving. 
Um, and so that's a complicated space. And so I want to give him lots of space to do that. But I also resonate with the reality that um, when we receive this question regarding whether God, how could God allow this to happen, that has a philosophical ancestry. And that ancestry would lead us to the idea that somehow God is like a watchmaker and he's separate from it. So when it goes wrong, what was the problem with the design? This is, this is your fault. And, and I see that as problematic um, because what I see in the scriptures is that because God is close to the brokenhearted, he sent his son, he has walked with us, he's walked towards death, he's brought us life. Um, I see a God is not separated from pain, but one who walks in it. So I want to give plenty of space for people to, to talk about their doubts, their concerns, their anger. But I want to come back to that central message that God is not far from us. He's not just some CEO up in the sky who we call on when things go wrong. He's with us in the midst of the brokenness to bring us life. And we as pastors get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, to be agents of healing, to be agents of encouragement, agents of grace and mercy, along with our congregations, to bring alongside those who are suffering, weeping when we need to weep, laugh when we need to laugh, and to pray when we need to pray. So I see it as, I, I like to keep it complex and, uh, and not reduce it down to some simple answer, but that's a part of what the conversations have looked like. You look like you're... Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's exactly what we're all feeling because this particular example of covenant with, with the shooter is this very complicated layers of gun access, the type of guns we can get, mental health issues, family systems, isolation, default narratives that people live by and political party narratives that are running through your head. Like we still don't really understand what was going on right in, in the mind of the person who committed this violence. And I think that's where Paul's words are. They're ancient words, but they have a real fresh relevance to say as the spiritual and the physical interact as systems and individuals interact, the church is supposed to stand in the midst of that and declare this paradoxical truth you don't get to avoid suffering at all, right. but your suffering is not wasted. And I think that transcends agnostic, atheist, theist, Christian, Jew, Muslim, because there's so much suffering in our world. And I think what's causing a lot of cynicism is people think it's wasted, it's meaningless. And at least Judaism and Christianity tries to enter into that and say there is actually a redemptive element to the suffering and violence that people are experiencing in the world. Agree, and I, I also agree with the response that many people give to the initial response of thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Man, it, it, not everyone who says it is being trite or just being dismissive or just trying to give a Band-Aid, but at times it sure feels that way. Um, and I don't want to judge the person saying it, but I, there is action that can be done. There are things we can do. We are not inactive. We are agents. And uh, I remember a famous English novelist who was asked, why, what's wrong with the world? And they wanted him to speak to it. And his response was, um, I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. And so I think that's the space I always want to come back with the congregation and with my own heart. I'm part of the problem. And how can I look to the grace of Christ and the power of the word and the activity of the spirit to move towards health? Well, Josh Graves is the pastor of Otter Creek Church of Christ. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Mike Ed, Micah Edmondson and Pastor Randy Loveless will stick with us through the break. 
when we come back, how does the faith response to the Covenant School shooting extend from the church pews to the streets and even the state house? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. This morning, the Southern Baptist Convention issued a statement calling on members of Tennessee's legislature to give law enforcement the leeway to remove guns from people who are believed to pose a danger to themselves or others. It's a direct reaction to the Covenant School shooting. These are the moments when both church and state are called on to take some kind of action. And it can be complicated when those worlds collide. Some faith leaders are wary of crossing the streams, so to speak. Others feel a calling to be a strong voice in the larger community for what they believe is right. I think it's to say safe to say that Reverend Kelly X is in that second category. She is a pastor at the Village Church and the director of Racial Justice Ministries at the Scarab Bennett Center. Pastor Kelly, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What do you make of the tension that some feel between faith and political activism? Hmm. I find very little tension, honestly. Um, as a as a black woman, a descendant of um, enslaved people here in America, faith and action has always been hand in hand. That the desire, the need, the requirement of freedom was connected directly to our our faith, whether that is Christian faith, whether that is traditional African traditions, um, the the belief that God has created us free and we deserve to be free just goes hand in hand. And so then that which gives us the strength to then speak and to demand that becomes comes directly from the creator, from the divine who gives us words, power and inspiration to behave and to act in a way that doesn't just liberate us individually, but it liberates everyone. And so that it is uh, a freedom that is not just an individual freedom, but a collective communal freedom where we are all able to live free and whole as God has created us to be. Well, have you seen a change in the level of engagement from Nashville pastors since the Covenant School shooting? I have seen, um, yes, I have seen more willing to to stand up and to speak. A uh, It's something about when children are killed that is a reminder that, oh, man, it feels like anybody can get it, <laughs> almost. And we don't want anybody. To, we don't, you, the, Everyone should be able to live. And so what I have seen is that um, I think at the beginning of March, there was uh, mothers. Oh, don't let me mess up the organization. But uh, a, a mother's group against gun violence had mm-hmm. their day on the Hill. And I came in to be a part of that press conference at, at the Hill. And there were probably about five of us. Uh, the week after the shooting, uh, there were f- 70 clergy at the state house uh, saying, oh, we cannot allow this. We've got to add voice to this. We've got to allow. And it wasn't just Christian clergy. There were uh, Muslim um, imams as well as uh, Jewish uh, rabbis who were present because 
our faith, regardless of how we pray, all says that God should help us in this process and that we've got to demand action. And are you seeing that change in involvement? Does that cross racial lines as well? Oh, definitely. Um, as we prepare for the um, moral movement um Action that is to happen today, starting at two o'clock at uh, McKendree United Methodist Church and then walking over to the Capitol. That's not just black clergy. That's white clergy. That is uh, uh, clergy of all the Asian, Latina uh, clergy across the board. Uh, I have I am a part of a, a group me chat that has hundreds that has over 100 clergy folks who are not of the same tradition, not of the same race, not of the same gender, um, may not even approve of all the genders who are allowed to be clergy, but understand that this is something bigger than our own personal beliefs. Pastor Randy Lovelace and the Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson are still with us. Micah, do you find yourself talking about these community issues differently now? Um, I, I, I would say that there is a, um, I, I, well, in the sense that um, there's a particular intensity mm-hmm. around the pain that we're feeling because um, it has it has hit so close to home. Um, we in our congregation have uh, sort of routinely talk about um, the claim of the gospel over all of life, including um, including um, uh, you know social realities. So um, so it's not as though we weren't talking about social realities and now we are or political realities and now we are you know mm-hmm. we we do preach a gospel that is deeply political not partisan but deeply political so um so absolutely um we 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 talk a little bit more intensely because again of the pain but uh it's not as though we are we haven't been talking about these things mm-hmm. what about you pastor randy how do you think about that line between politics and faith <laughs> Uh, there's a whole lot of ground that I want to reclaim for humanity that's gotten drawn into political lines. This is first and foremost a human problem. Mm-hmm. This is people made in the image of God, regardless of what you believe about other humans. We believe them to be made in the image of God, regardless of faith, gender, background, history, choices. And this is to move <clears throat> towards people, to ask the question, as Jeremiah says, to seek the flourishing of the city in which you're in. And that may mean we're involved at all different levels of a city, corporately, individually. So I have sought to lead in a way and serve in a way that encourages that kind of engagement that is nonpartisan. Because I think that's, we have, I do truly believe the number of conversations, and boy, have I had a lot of them, I do ultimately believe that there are more things that we have in common. We might disagree Mm -hmm. on how we get there, Mm -hmm. but we are not going to get there if we stay divided. Do you have thoughts? Yeah. I I was also thinking about, I think there's a difference between being political and being partisan as well. Um, I feel like every day I walk out the house at as a black woman, clergy, <laughs> clergy woman, like I am political. This I, I'm a very political statement, um, but that has nothing has very little to do with my politics in the sense of how I vote. Um, but it does show up in how I act and how I how I what I preach and what I ask of others to then demand um, as a part of their their own divineness as made in the very image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's faith leads them to have a pretty strong conviction that action needs to be taken. And then that action is something that can only be done by government. And so they call for it. Is it politicizing to speak things up, speak up about those things? No. 
because I, I, I do think that that is something that a lot of times when people want to say, we need to only have this conversation, this need, needs to go back to the faith community or this needs to go back to the home and it needs to be back in that conversation. You're just politicizing it. And, you know, sometimes it just means that's code for I don't agree with your stance. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But it is also a stance that I don't want to do anything about it. And so I have the capacity in my pulpit to to preach and to say that all lives deserve to have life and that to, to talk about a, a desire for um, gun laws that then reflect that other people's lives matter beyond just my own personal life. However, I don't have the capacity from my pulpit to write legislation. <laughs> and so in that, what I am desiring is to have someone who's willing to sit down and listen to me and then is willing to do legislation that will make it so that my children are not afraid to go to school and that I'm not afraid to to worship. Um, because, you know, like this is this has happened, but this is not new Emmanuel, Mother Emanuel, that was 2015. Mm-hmm. Like the the uh, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, that was 18. Like this has been happening. And, and I think that's the other reason why folks are upset because we recognize that at any point it could be our congregation. At any point, it really could be our children's school. It could be our grocery store. It, and so in that instance, it's like, yes, Second Amendment, the ability to 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 have weapons and protect myself is very much so there. Do I want people to have weapons of war? No, I'm I, that's that's the place where I then say, no, I don't want that. And how do we or and then also how do we find somewhere in the middle to make sure that folks rights are being respected while not killing me in the process? But there are people who are being incentivized to keep us divided. They want to call it politicization Mm -hmm. when, in fact, we're just engaging as citizens in a democratic republic from a position of faith that we can talk. We need to acknowledge and defend the rights and freedoms of the Second Amendment. But that's not the only right that we are defending. And we need to speak about what is primary, and that seems to me to be life, liberty, and happiness uh, framed by an ethic of love And then let's talk about downstream. Where can we agree and work towards a flourishing community that protects our freedoms? If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, in for your host, Khalil Ekilona. We're talking this hour about how Nashville's Christian communities are responding to the Covenant School shooting. And my guests are Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson, Pastor Randy Lovelace, Lovelace, and Reverend Kelly X. When it comes down to the brass tacks of how we as a community should respond to the specifics of our time, Mm -hmm. finding a faith-informed stance can take some degree of extrapolation because, you know, there was no gunpowder in the time of Christ and Paul never wrote about Mm AR-15s. So, Micah, what does the Bible say in your mind that speaks to gun violence? Yeah, I think uh, I think the Bible has a lot to say about the realities that we're dealing with in terms of gun violence, because there's always been the um, the temptation to um, prefer profits over people. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think we can look in, in various uh, texts within the scriptures. I think particularly there's there's a as a, as a particular scripture in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22, 8, that actually talks about the building of a of an ancient Near Eastern home. And, you know, you may think, well, what is what does the building of a home have to do with gun violence? Well, 
the, basically, when you build a home, uh, it's, it's a law that says that when you build your home, uh, you have to put a uh, you have to put a parapet, you have to put a railing around the the roof of it so that lest someone fall off it. And then that home incur blood guilt. Mm. And so what's happening there is is there's a there's a priority of people over profits. There's a priority of because it takes extra time. It takes extra money and resources to put that railing around your home. But the Lord is telling his people the the public safety and um, uh, of these individuals is more in is more important than your own private profits. Also, um, you know, you could easily say, well, hey, you know, if that guy falls off the roof, that's his fault. That's not my fault. But God is actually prefer actually preferencing public safety over sort of private individualism. Right. Like I have to take a responsibility to create a safe environment for all my neighbors, even the most negligent of my neighbors. And so it's really important that we we promote um, an environment that says, you know, not everyone is going to operate responsibly. And yet we have to create an environment so that people who are irresponsible are perhaps protected from their own worst decisions. You know, um, and I think that when you say so as we think about access to to you know military grade weapons, um, I think that has something very powerful to say about that. Um, also, also, as I said before, profits over people. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get the sense that some of the loudest voices when it comes to our legislatures are the gun lobby, right? Are the corporate interests rather than the actual people whose lives are being affected by gun violence. And the, the, the least, the, uh, the least of these, you know, the children who have to sit in Tennessee schools. I, I'm a, I actually happen to be a parent myself and uh, my daughters, um, uh, I, I just can't tell you what it's been like to have to drop my babies off to school um, in the wake of all of this. And to think about what is what it must be like to be them sitting in that school mm -hmm. um, and wondering whether the adults around them are able to make the decisions that are able to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And so I just think we need to do some listening to our, our babies and our children as well. And think about what, what must it like be like to be them? They can't they can't own weapons, you know, and, and is the is the is a solution to to flood our uh, our society with more guns. Is that going to be the solution or is it is the solution to somehow uh, enact some legislation that actually would um, in some ways disarm our society? Pastor Kelly. Mm -hmm. uh, I think probably the thing that comes to my mind is really the most simple is the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, spirit. I think I added something there. Maybe took something away. Forgive me. It all works. <laughs> <laughs> and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and that loving of our neighbor um, and not fearing our neighbor. And I know it is terrifying to think that there are people that uh, might do harm to me and that I am to love them. And that my response is not to armor up but to to stand in love and that as I stand in love for them, I stand in love for me and in love for God. And I think that that really is is the stance I, I think about. Um, so when when Jesus flips over tables in the temple after, according to Matthew, I know, look. Those gospels are the stories are in different orders, right? But according to Matthew, after how he enters into into 
this into Jerusalem for Passover and he's welcomed and treated as 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 the king that he is. And the first thing he does is he goes to the place where folks are trying to get uh, right with God that to do the to give the uh, sacrifices that then reconciled them. And in that space where they are most to be safe and be reconciled, they are pay- overcharging them for that. So which then leaves them more in debt because you have to spend more to get the the items that then help to reduce your uh your sin debt. Uh and he flips over tables because he recognizes that it is doing more harm than it is actually good. Those are all acts of love that that sometimes our anger, our standing up, our our our, our frustration, our our need to kind of go out into the streets when there feels like there's nothing else for us to do, that that those are acts of love as much as our calmness and our sitting and our, our praying quietly uh, are also acts of love. And 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 doing that in a way that is a, ref, a reminder of our own love for ourselves. And it, it, it's this weird connection that happens that we cannot separate ourselves from the from the other because it's about community and when we begin to see those whom whom we have seen as enemies as that which we are to love when we are not asking well who is my enemy <laughs> or who is my neighbor but really living into that that then i think it reduces the need for the ar it reduces the need for the um, hollow points. It, it, it reduces a need to try to figure out how do we uh, protect so much and opens up for love, even though that love is a very vulnerable place that puts us in. Well, as you mentioned earlier, in just a little more than an hour at 2 p.m., Bishop William J. Barber II will be leading the Tennessee Moral Monday March from the country United Methodist Church to the Capitol. And the idea of Moral Monday is to set out certain standards for what it means to govern from a moral standpoint. Do any of you plan to be there? I'll be there. I am not able to be there, but I'll be at the Linking Arms event tomorrow. Yeah, I'll plan to be there. Um, How important is it? to connect with other clergy and congregations in this times like this. I am getting caught by that music. Very. Very. Very important. Very yeah, important. extremely important, yeah. Reverend Kelly X is a pastor at the Village Church. Pastor Randy Lovelace is with Christ Community. And Reverend Micah Edmondson leaves the Kononoya Church. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow we'll discuss the history and challenges of being a black farmer in our state. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Elizabeth Madeira. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.